This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, whatever the case may be. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here with you for the next 30 minutes on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer questions. We're here to educate, inform, have a little fun, whatever the case may be. And um, you can get a hold of us very, very easily. First, the, the good old-fashioned way, phone, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Uh, you can also better, more fun anyway, is to join us here live on Google Hangouts. Just go on to PetLifeRadio.com, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, click on it, and if you uh, follow, you will see a Google Hangouts link. You can link right on it, click on it, and you can join us live here with you, with your pets, and um, we can talk about anything you'd like to talk about. And as I said, uh, whatever questions you may have, whatever you didn't get from your veterinarian, you can get from me, hopefully. So anyway, uh, just some news stories I like to... As many of you know who listen regularly, peruse the news. So first of all, Lyme disease has a cousin, a first cousin, also a Borrelia. It is Borrelia miyamotoi. And um, miyamotoi sounds like a Japanese name. It's a tick-borne disease just like Lyme, not quite as aggressive. It does cause fever, aches, and pains very similarly. If caught early, it is very, very responsive to antibiotics. So, um, you know, what I would recommend, if you have dogs with ticks and if you even think that a tick has latched onto you, just get some professional medical advice. It's not going to obviously happen right away. So, um, you know, to talk to them to find out how the different ticks, how long it takes from bite to infection, but because uh, it might be different in people. But uh, certainly within a, a week or so, you should develop a positive test. And uh, But anyway, talk to, best would be an infectious disease doc or an internist, but just to check yourselves out. I've known of a few stories recently, actually, where people want, want a veterinarian were infected by Lyme, with Lyme disease. So I think it's something that, that really warrants some follow-up. Uh, you've heard me talk about it. I'm going to talk about it again because it's now here when the AVMA, the American Veterinary Medical Association, actually talks about this in their smart brief. But telemedicine is expanding. Using Veterinarians are using telemedicine to sort of you know expand their own reach with their clients. When you think about this, think about the fact that the millennial is not only right now the fastest growing segment of the pet owning population. They are the largest of the pet owning population. And if you out there are falling under that category, I know I don't have to I don't have to look through my computer camera to see you that you are preferring using your phone. You live by your phone and you're not going to get in your car and go someplace. If you can get an answer quickly by clicking a few keys on your phone, uh, getting a live doctor to talk to, and you don't mind paying, especially if it's going to be less than going to the vet hospital. So not only are you saving money, you're saving time. And many of the things that, that you would want to ask are something that you don't need to actually be seen. So there is a difference between we call telemedicine and telehealth or teletriage, which is the VCPR, veterinary client-patient relationship. But if you want to start, if, what I would recommend, and uh, for those of you who want to kind of just test the waters, a uh, side that I'm working with is called Live DVM. And you can go to livedvm.com. You should register now. Very easy. It's free to register. And that way, if you ever need the service, you're already registered. So then you're just like anything else. You're going to just have to log in with your name and email, put in your password that you create, and you're ready to go. 
and you save time on the registration process. And uh, it's really, really great. In fact, your first call is covered by a pet insurance, pet first pet insurance. So it's, it's a no brainer, but I would recommend that's where I'm telling my clients even just go ahead and register. So you have it in your phone. It's ready to go when you need it. And uh, it works really, really well. Secondly, get ready for this one, cannabis and pets. Again, when the American Veterinary Medical Association starts putting out info and a resource guide to veterinarians about cannabis and pets, you know it's real. It's something that we're going to deal with. And I've had so, you know, since here in California, it just became uh, legalized for recreational use that I am getting so many calls, so many problems with dogs, anxiety issues, vomiting issues, epilepsy. Doc, can we use cannabis? The good news is it really does have a great effect, a positive effect. Of course, like with any drug, it's not the same with every animal. You got to test it. You got to figure it out. However, the problem we're having is we know lethal doses. We don't know toxic doses. And I've talked about this before, and I really want you to to get it embedded in your brains. But the, the work now for all of us, for the veterinary community, for the veterinary schools is to start testing toxic doses. And then once we know what those are, we can start testing for therapeutic levels. And uh, right now, there's just too little known. Am I against it? Absolutely not. I'm actually for it. But we need to, we just need more information. And it's around the corner. I will tell you, however, that CBD, cannabidiol, does not have THC, or if, if it does, it's negligible levels. And that is okay to use. And I would recommend it. I've had, I, look, I've had clients that have tried it and have been great clients that have tried it and not seen an effect, but that's nothing new with any any medicine. Now, that's why we often have so many choices because not every animal is going to respond the same. So just keep that in mind. But but CBD, definitely uh, great. I can, I'll can i try to get a list on, the, on my site of all the benefits, things that have been proven, used, etc. Again, a lot of the information is what we call empirical. People using it, commenting, seeing the difference, but we don't have a lot of science behind it yet. This one caught my eye again, and I'm going to, you know, again, I, I know when I'm here on my show, I get to sort of sit on my soapbox sometimes. You may disagree with some of the things I say. That's great. Uh, everybody has different experiences. But this one, again, when we get the veterinary community, we get the FDA making statements about certain things, you have to pay attention to it. Or even if you've had good experiences, that's great, but it doesn't expand to everybody else. And here it is, raw food disasters. So. Six pets became ill or died, and two children became ill from raw diets because of salmonella and listeria. And I'm going to just mention the names of the food recalls. If you are feeding or have been feeding any of these and you are a fan of raw diets, you might want to at least take note to be very, very cautious when it comes to the following foods. The recalls were, it's called Aero Reliance, Raws for Paws, Red Barn Pet Products, and Smokehouse Pet Products. Now, these were all recalled because of salmonella and or listeria. And um, I will tell you, on, as a side note, again, I get to promote because it's me, my show. But a lot of us love when you're eating, making chocolate chip cookies, for example, and you're sitting and you are eating the raw cookie dough. All right. That is tasty. A lot of us love it. A lot of us love cleaning the, the blades of the blender. We like you know licking the bowl. It's good. Look at cookie dough ice cream, for example. It's great stuff. So one of the things that we have to remember is that there's egg in there, raw egg, and that can cause, that often gets salmonella. And flour, certain flours that are not cooked have E. coli. So my oldest daughter, for example, is uh, went to the Cordon Bleu. She did, did pastry, worked with Wolfgang Puck, and she was a, a total foodie. She is a total foodie. 
And she read that Nestle Co. had to recall a zillion cases of the ready-made Toll House cookie dough that came in those yellow logs in the refrigerated section where all you had to do was chop it up and put it on the cookie sheet and bake. Why? Because people were eating it raw. So knowing that, she says, there's got to be a way to actually make cookie dough good without the eggs, without the flour. She came up with Edouble, E-D-O-U-G-H-B-L-E, edible.com. You should check it out. But if you do eat like eating raw food, you just got to be careful. You have to avoid certain ingredients. She uses no eggs. She uses what's called heat-treated flour. And you get to have the benefit of all sorts of fun flavors of cookie dough. But the point I'm making is raw, yes, it's natural. Yes, there's a certain thing. Yes, animals in the wild ate it. It's not the same today. So don't be fooled. This is really cool, veterinarians. And two general surgeons, MD surgeons from Amita Health in Chicago area, they performed an emergency appendectomy. We've got some two questions waiting, so we have to also check those out in the chat room. My producer is going to send those questions to me. But they performed an emergency appendectomy on a 40-year-old orangutan. How cool is that? And, you know, again, it's, it's different. Like, for example, dogs, I, I wouldn't, we don't have, they don't have an appendix. So uh, I'm sure that the zoo veterinarians know that, yes, the primates have appendix. And uh, they actually took it off the, but with the help of the MD surgeons and the veterinary surgeons. And uh, that's pretty cool. And apparently, you know, orangutans, monkeys have very, very different, thick, thicker skin. So um, it does make a big difference when you're doing that surgery. Also a really cool story, a firefighter, again, with the help of veterinarians, one of the vets on the phone, actually they saved a four-year-old German Shepherd from a house fire. And this firefighter had never done CPR on a dog. So one of the vets that they contacted was able to walk the firefighter through administering CPR to this four-year-old German Shepherd. They finally got it to um, the Auburn Veterinary Hospital. So this actually happened in Alabama. And um, because Auburn's a great veterinary school. And uh, this uh, wonderful German Shepherd is home, which is really nice. And um, lastly, and we see a lot of this, so I wanted to talk about this as well, that we have to be very, very careful in our communities with wild animals that are bold enough to come down into hills, etc. Because we have a, a problem with coyotes, some communities with mountain lions. We have right now raccoons in our area. And raccoons, I'm telling you, they're getting so bold because they're hungry. So this happens and we complain. But you have to remember, many of our communities, especially here in the hills in, in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills and Bel Air, we are building and building and building. We're moving. We're, it's choice property because the views are magnificent. So we are taking these land lots that, and building these magnificent homes with fantastic views. But who used to live there? Well, the coyotes did and the raccoons did. So now they are getting hungry and they are getting very, very bold. So if you know you are seeing things like this, and trust me, you will be, then you just need to be, first of all, very careful. Small dogs should never be left alone. If you're walking your dogs on leash, we had a big problem with raccoons in my neighborhood. And um, you know, some of my, my small dogs, my two Frenchies sometimes would walk ahead. Now everybody has to be on a leash at all times. And you have to also make sure you secure your garbage can lids because what happens is that's where they come down for food. And then they will see your questions. So um, anyway, it's very important to keep that in mind. When you are, uh, if you live in an area and you've seen these animals, please, please, please be very, very careful, especially with your smaller pets. And don't take chances. These animals, it used to be, for example, with coyotes. When they saw a person, they would just turn around and run. Now they don't. They're going to stare you down. They're going to watch your move first. And they're not going to back down anymore. So it's very, very dangerous. They are hungry. So just you have to respect that as well. Anyway, we are at the half point of the show. So I uh, want to... Go ahead and uh, take a quick break. 
and we will be back after the break in just a few minutes. Don't go away, and we'll answer our questions from our two listeners that are waiting to hear from me. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. If you've ever shared your home and heart with a charmingly naughty animal who's always up to mischief, you'll fall in love with the Klepto Kitty who stars in Talk to the Paw by Melinda Metz. Talk to the Paw is a funny, heartwarming novel about a single girl, a single guy, and MacGyver, an adorable tabby cat with a not-so-adorable habit of stealing from the neighbors. Talk to the Paw is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Visit kensingtonbooks.com for more info. Hey, cat people. Litter box smells always on your mind. Think about your cat, not the box, with World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that delivers big odor control in a tiny package. World's Best Cat Litter harnesses the concentrated power of corn to trap odors deep inside the litter. Ready to knock out smells and use less litter? Find World's Best Cat Litter at Target, Walmart, and in your local grocery and pet stores. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Dogosuds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Dogosud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Dogosuds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You are here live with Dr. Jeff and... As we mentioned, going into our commercial break, we have two questions for me. Uh, one is, the first one is from John, who uh, thanks John for listening to us here from Holland, New York. They have a Cocker Spaniel, a two-year-old, and just brought a cat into the home. What's the best way to introduce them? When the dog sees the cat, he gets all excited and anxious, and we're afraid of harm the cat right now. Well, interestingly, I'm more afraid of the Cocker Spaniel, unless it's a kitten, but uh, you know, I would not. If I have a nasty cat and a nasty dog, oh my God, that nasty cat's going to win. Anyway, you know, the thing to do is I have four dogs now since we had to put Grover to sleep and six cats. I often joke my cats read the dog book by mistake. And my dogs always being around cats and having been around cats, it's like I bring a new cat and it's like, oh, my God, here's another one of those crazy smelly things. But they get along really well. What I would recommend is this. If the cat is young, you're right. He might be more afraid of your cocker. So you want to you know, hold him and very slowly introduce the cocker on a leash and make sure a lot of praise you every step you take closer to the cat while someone is very carefully holding the cat and i would trim the nails first just as a a side note cats are very good at scratching and um and just praise your cocker every time that you come nearer and nearer to the cat the whole idea is that you want to make this cat a positive experience for the dog and not a negative one so right now it's a new toy if you will they're curious and something he might want to play with, and you want to, and, and thus that cat's going to get freaked out. So the key really is to make it safe. Now, also one of the things that where animals seem to not care about others as much is when they're eating. 
I always use this as a trick when I'm trying to introduce two cats to each other is start with them in a like one different ends of a large room and then during mealtime and then slowly bring the food together. I interestingly have two of my cats. It's one of my older cats with one of my cats that I brought home from the hospital about a year ago. And they literally now eat out of, you know, it's got those bowls that are half, you know, I guess one side's for usually water, one's for food. I fill them both with their food and they eat literally nose to nose and no problem whatsoever. So the whole idea of any of this type of behavior modification, of them getting used to something, it's small baby steps and make it fun. And uh, when you, when the, since the new cat is the one that's the problem, what I would recommend doing is paying more attention to your cocker in the presence of the cat. And when the cat's not around, I would say meanly ignore your cocker, but don't give it as much attention as you used to. So feeding, the petting, come jump on my lap, food treats, all in the presence of the cat. And if he's, you know, and, and correct him with, you know, a firm, a sound uh, when he starts to like get a little too rambunctious with the cat. And uh, go slow, see how it works out. It should work out fine. Uh, as I said, in my household, we have many of both and they do wonderfully. If you want, want to get a hold of me and, and uh, that'd be great. Uh, I, I see the cat is five months old, so it's still a, still a, a kitten, but still moldable. And also, I was curious to know, you know, you, you mentioned that how the dog gets excited and anxious. What does the cat do? Is the cat pretty mellow? Is the cat pretty chill? Because that makes a difference also, because we want the cat to not be afraid of the dog. And uh, that's why you sort of keep it sort of coddled. And uh, and hopefully the cat will, will, as long as the dog is not like being overly anxious and loud and obnoxious to the cat, the cat should be fine, especially if it's the first dog he's ever seen. Because if it is, then they really don't know what to expect. Now, if a cat has had a bad experience with a dog already, then of course, it's going to be a, a more of an uphill battle, but very, very doable. I have many, many, many clients with both dogs and cats. And you know, as I said, for us, it was initially a little difficult, but once the cat sees that these dogs don't care anymore, and by the way, once you accomplish this, it's going to be much easier for you to bring other cats into the house with your dog because your dog's going to learn that, hey, these cats aren't that bad. In fact, every time one's around, I'm getting pets, I'm getting treats, I'm getting fed. Life is grand. So that's what they have to learn. Make it a positive experience. But if you want to get a hold of me, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. John, we can uh, talk. I'll even you know leave you my cell phone if you need it. And uh, we can talk a little bit more off the air. Next one comes from, is it okay to let cats graze? That is to leave out the dry food for them all day. So here's my feeling about that. The short answer is yes. And by that, I mean, why the short answer? Because there are, of course, unique circumstances. What we do with our many cats is... They get fed um, canned food, which I kind of like mixing twice a day. And during the day, we fill about three or four bowls around the kitchen and the house with some dry food, and they munch as they please. When does it not work? It doesn't work if for some reason, and again, we're very lucky, I have to admit, because often in multi-cat households, the cats are so afraid that there won't be enough left for them, they seem to chow down, they chow all down right away. Cats, when it comes to grazing are, I hate to say it for those dog lovers out there, myself included, that they're smarter than dogs. Dogs, if I left food out, like for my Labrador, my Labradoodle all day, they would be 200 pounds obese because they would eat as much food as I put down. They are just chow hounds. So it's sort of like the opposite. When it comes to dogs, very, very few, relatively few can graze. In other words, you can leave food out all day and they'll just eat when they want. Cats are the opposite. Cats, typically, most of them can graze. And there are a few, they're relatively few, will just chow the food if it's there in the bowl. So just remember one thing, obesity, 
the number one nutritional disease affecting our pets. So if you have cats that you want to leave food out, but you are afraid that they're going to overeat, there are a number of great products out there now that you can actually monitor. You can control with a, a timer or with your phones when to allow food. So you can predetermine in the feeder, automated feeders, how much food will drop and at what time or times during the day. And you can also control and change it via your phone. So it's really, really cool. So that's an option too. If you have a cat that you can't be around all day, but you want to control how much food they get and when, uh, you should look into some of these really fantastic automated feeders. Pretty soon in about a month, I'm heading to Orlando to the Global Pet Expo with the Pet Life Radio team. And um, I'll be seeing many, many more products and happy to come back after the show and sort of dedicate one of my programs to kind of what's new out there. But I think technology is doing great stuff in the pet and vet market. And uh, so that's something we'll look forward to. But I also, the, the, as I said, the, the short answer is it really depends on the cat. But if you, what I would do is try it. My cats, as I said, are very good. They have food sitting all day. And um, when the bowl, except one thing I will say, I don't refill the bowl just because it's empty. So after they have their morning and evening meals and I put dry food in their bowls, that's all they get for the rest of until their next meal. So if you keep putting it there and they keep eating, you're going to end up with a fat cat. Something like 58%, maybe even more now, of cats in the United States are obese. Well, I should say overweight or obese. And clearly it's our fault. So we need to be a little bit more responsible as pet parents. We need to monitor our pets, monitor what they ingest. That way we can keep our pets really, really healthy. And we've done shows before on obesity. It leads to a lot of health problems and in cats, especially type 2 diabetes. So um, just be careful out there. If you uh, want to speak to me more about this off air, you can get a hold of me directly at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. So that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you all for being with me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And you see how easy it is. If you have questions, you can reach me directly at Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And I say this lately because I guess it's the new thing, but I would love you to follow me on Instagram if you want to see a lot of great pictures and shots and some educational video stuff uh, for me at work um, just go on to at dr jeff werber and start following me and uh, hopefully we'll keep you very entertained at the very least you're going to see a lot of really cute pets have a great week everybody and we'll see you here next week on pet life radios ask the vets with dr jeff and once again you can always get a hold of me at dr jeff at petliferadio.com see you next week Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.